0: If you have a Bible with you, open it to uh, 1 John, it's in the okay. New Testament towards the end. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, text in your order of worship. If you don't own one, there's some on the back table, all field, but if you're visiting, if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. There's a bunch on the back table, grab one at some point, so we can give that to you. Hey, A couple things uh, before we get into this, I want to make clear. One is, uh, some of you are wondering... What happened to, uh, you know, if you actually are following along in our order of worship, there's supposed to be a baptism this morning. Uh, the flu, flu, nami hit uh, the Murray household, and so uh, they're 50%, 50% man down right now. So um, you can be praying for them. And in fact, if you would like to be praying for them, Yay, good transition. Uh, tonight, um, we're, we're, we've got a lot going on in a church. I don't know if you're visiting, you don't really know that, but. We're breaking a new ground in a new congregation here in a little over a couple months. Uh, well, in a couple of months, we are, um, there's there's amazing things going on in the life of many of you as God is transforming and changing people. And what that means is, is that um, anytime as Christians we, we understand that the kingdom begins to move forward is that. We also recognize that there, there's a counterforce that kind of moves against, right? That, that um, the world is not neutral, but it's set opposed to God and his ways. And so we wanna to gather tonight and, and pray about that. There's two of those going on. One is the new congregation Holy Cross East. Um, in place of your launch team meeting, you're gonna be meeting at the just to pray, and, and Jason Bailey will be leading that. And for Midtown, our congregation here, you're not going to be a part of East. You'll be gathering at, at my place, at 1103 Walnut Street, um, I'm not the only one hearing that, right? Okay, that is going on. That is a thing. All right, but we'll be gathering in my place uh, at 7 to, to pray. Um love to have you there. One love. I'll uh, catch you my so my we need it. Because um, we need to be gathering in congregation to pray. Uh, There's is, there is, uh, God's power for uh, his glory for our kingdom is oftentimes released when his people humble themselves and gather so, let's do that. Okay. Uh, all right. First um, John, as we're getting into this, you know, this season, we've been ordering our lives around this book, uh, the book of First John. Uh, and, and in it, what we have is we have one apostle the earliest Christian leaders. His name is John, obviously, from First John. His name is John, and he's, he's writing to one of the churches he's intimately familiar with. And some crazy stuff has gone on in that church. Some people have um, begun contradicting the, the message of christianity they heard at first people are being told that jesus wasn't really human it didn't really matter if he was human or not matter of fact because god couldn't be messed with and turned to uh, mingle with humanity i mean that would just be so far beneath anything called god that that uh that that's impossible they've been told that uh what you do with your body doesn't matter in fact you can kind of do whatever you want. God doesn't care. And that the reason that they know that is these people decide they have special knowledge from God. They've got little they whispers. Like they got it. Um, and, and they know it's true. And it's made a mess. And so what John is doing is he's writing to help in this congregation to what is true from what isn't. And to help them have confidence in their faith. Because they're they they need to know what, what is Christian, what is not. And that's an important part of what he's doing. And that's an important part of what we're getting to today. And that's, that's important to us too, right? Because though our, our culture is post-Christian and is not post-Jesus, our culture loves Jesus. We love to usurp him and take him into our causes. Because if Jesus thought it, then it must be great. Unless that's Christian. And that's what John is dealing with this morning. What it actually is, Christianity. There is false Christianity, and then there's the truth. So, if you have your place, we're in um, we're in John chapter two this morning. If you stand, up, I have our it here. In honor of God's word, I'm going to be reading verses uh, 18 through 25. This is God's word. Children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many ancient Christ have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that I might be plain that they all are not of us. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. And I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Because no know lies of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father or, or denies the Son has the Father. But whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. But what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And what you heard from the beginning, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us: eternal life. This is God's word for our portion of the, the Lord, as we come into uh, this time, we just ask that you would open our hearts to receive you, our ears to hear from you and our minds to understand We need your spirit. Lord, you know where every person in this room is at. And you know what we need. Ultimately, all of need God. Is, but you know exactly how we need it. So we pray that in your sovereignty, in your goodness, in your love, you administer that to us. Work in us, in as we And we pray these things knowing that you were good and that you were glorious and you hear us. That because of Jesus, you're smiling upon us, we have to get Have a seat. So most of you know this uh, about me. just so we can kind of address what's going on in our minds as we think about stuff, right? Because every one of us is thinking about certain things. Uh, I just read this passage, and some of you are like, crazy man, and others of you have different things going on. So here's here's the thing, though. None of us, none of us, even if you're a convinced Christian, uh, are very comfortable with the idea of definitive truth claims. We don't like them. Our culture's kind of inundated us and taught us not to like them. Right? Uh, It's the the number one negative in our culture. Exclusive truth claims. Exclusion, in fact, is seen as the chief immorality of our day. To be exclusive instead of inclusive is immoral and mean. But here's the dirty little secret on that line of thought. It's exclusive. Here's what I mean. To say that anything that isn't inclusive is immoral is being exclusive towards anything that's exclusive. Right? It's an exclusive claim. It's a claim that says, I am right, and other systems are wrong. It demands other positions to stand up with it. And some of you are like, ah, this is not exclusive, inclusive, it's a lot of is, and I don't really have much problems. So let me, let me give you a, a, a for instance. But let me take Christianity out of the OK? So, Islam. Holds to one deity who is almighty. He is a unitary monad, like one being. Hinduism holds to a plethora of deities who are not all powerful, but are provincial. like they, They exist in certain places, right? So to say that you have to accept that each person, the Muslim and the Hindu, have to then accept the other person's view as equally valid is to say that both are false that both are false. So ultimately what our what our culture wants to say is that neither one of them are actually correct. That our, in fact, our um, enlightened um, Western inclusivist religion is what is right. Now, we don't say that. That would be exclusive. Instead what we say is that each person has a piece of the puzzle, right? Blind man feeling the elephant? But what's the assumption? If they had all of knowledge, like we do, they would get that they're both wrong. Right? So if you're here this morning and these exclusive claims bug you, what I would encourage you to do is to doubt your doubts. We need to realize that all of us make these claims. The question isn't, are you making them or not? The question is, how valid are they? Okay. So that's what we're looking at this morning, because John deals with this. Uh, we're going to look at this in three ways. There's an outline or bullet that's helpful. If not leave it there. Okay. We're going to look at the position of truth. We're going to look at the content of truth, and then finally, the wrestling with truth. Okay. Position of it. Where are you positioned? The content of it. What is it? What's it saying? And then wrestling with it. Okay. So let's get started with the position of truth. Look down in verse 18. Follow along your Bible if you can. Know, John says, "Children, it's the last hour, and you have heard." that antichrist has come, and still not many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Now, if you have a church background, if you, if you come from a church background, such an evangelical one, and you are going to say, last hour is antichrist, you are now expecting, like crazy land to begin, large charts to fall down with dragons on them and full illustrations that are just awesome and meaningless, okay? That's what you're expecting. Um, and, and and then the preacher, that would be me, is going to go off on some curate about the end of the world. Not very helpful. Okay. And not what John's talking about. So let me break this down first by giving this concept of the last hour. When we hear the phrase last hour, again, probably because of the that what I just described, and how that's just part of American Christian culture now at some point, um, what we hear is that, that what John is talking about is the world about to end. That's very understandable. It just has nothing to do with what the phrase is talking about. Okay? So, uh, a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, you remember me saying that early Christians believed that with the, the uh, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, something incredible happened in which there were two, they divided up the, the world and the history of the world into two great epics. The age that has kind of uh, been commandeered by sin that happened since uh, humanity fell, and in the age in which God would come and make all things right, this evil age and the age to come. Remember that? Some of you remember that? And what, what we talked about was that um, in early Christian thought, and what we see in the Bible, is that they believe that these two ages instead of being uh, inc- incredibly disparate, become of life after the resurrection of Jesus are now overlapping. Okay? That, that we still kind of exist in this evil age, but the age to come is broken into this reality. Jesus is risen. the new creation has begun. Sin has been defeated, but it's still there. Evil is back, has been broken, but it's still active. And so it kind of folds over on stuff like this. And so uh, the way that that's often put in theological circles is, is calling the now and the not yet. Right? We live in the now and the not yet is here. And we're, we're kind of in the midst of it, right? So what John means by the last hour is part of that. What he means is that God's plan of setting the world to rights is awaiting nothing but the final return of Jesus. There's nothing else coming. We don't have anything else that we're waiting for except Jesus to return, okay? That's what he means by the last hour. Not that the world is about to end, okay? Jesus coming again. There's nothing the world ends. Not at all. God's not giving up on creation. He made it. He called it good. He just intends to make it right again. And, he, and John is certainly not making a comment by saying it's the last hour. He's not making a comment on when that will happen. right? Because John was there, if you've read the Gospels, you know John was there when Jesus himself said, nobody knows when that's going to happen. And so it would be kind of silly for John to all of a sudden go, I know Jesus said nobody knows, but I do. It's like in the next hour. right? That's, that, that's not what he's talking about. Um, what he's saying is, look, we know that now that Jesus has been raised, we're in the last period between his first coming and his second. There's nothing left to wait for. Itself. Okay, so that's the last hour. But the second thing we need to get is this antichrist thing. Now, again, when I say antichrist, most of you think about the most evil person ever, who kind of wears a hat, he's got to hide his horns, and he's uh, like Hitler taking the a million power. Okay, um, and that's certainly a way to think about it, I suppose. Uh, but there are two things that we need to get with this this word antichrist. The first is that preparation or preposition, not preparation. Prepositions that put on the front of it. We all recognize Christ, right? And then you have anti. and when, when you and I think of the word anti, we think ultimately of against, uh, which it can mean. But it also means substituting in Greek. What John is saying is that substitutes for Christ have come and are coming. Okay? Substitutes. So that's another thing we need to get. He says that many of these kind of substitutes have already come. Now, we're going to get the definition of what Christ is in a minute, because that's going to have a lot of bearing on what we think an anti-Christ is, right? But uh, suffice to say here that what John is saying is that many substitutes have come, and we're still going to have many more that people can place their hope in that there are many substitutes for people to place their ultimate hope in. And that's nothing new. That shouldn't surprise us or make us think that the world is about to end or that the sky is falling. That, is, that happens because we're people. We are set on trusting in and placing our hope in anything but God, right? Now, let's look at what saying really quick. Look, look at verse 19. What John is speaking of here are people who are part of the church but left Christianity and began teaching something different. Here's the logical way he said. the fact that they left proves that they never were really part of us. Because if they were part of us, they never would have left. But since they left, we go, Aha, we were never in the first place. Okay, you see that? Now that messes with us a little bit. If we're being honest because some of us here are like, you know, wait a minute. What's the deal, like, somebody can't change their mind? I would say absolutely someone can change their mind. If you changed your mind in the first place, you can certainly change your mind later. But that begs the question, doesn't it? Because the Bible teaches us that by nature, by nature, not by by, by choice of mind or action of the will, but by nature, by who we are, we are all stuck in our independence. From God. We were made for a dependent relationship on Him, but we've been changed that humanity is fundamentally stuck. by stuck, I mean stuck in our independence from God. That's what sin is. It's it's kind of breaking relationship with Him. And some of us do that through morality, right? Telling us that we can, telling God, like, look, I don't need you. I can make my own status for myself. I can be really good. I can be great, in fact. Because I'm type A and awesome. And I'll figure it out and get it done. Others of us, though, we don't do it that way. Instead, we do it through immorality, telling God we can get satisfaction for ourselves. We're we're not the type A person. We're the ones who are just like, I'm just, I gotta look out for me. I gotta get mine. God's not enough, so I'm just gonna go do it, right? But no matter how you do it, the Bible calls that sin. Trusting in yourself, resting on yourself. And if we're stuck in this, we can't get ourselves out, right? If, If you're drowning in the water, you can't save yourself. Any drowning person can't save themselves. We need rescue, and that's where Jesus comes in. Because he, the Bible teaches us that he lives for, lives not, dies perfectly in our place, and dies bear the guilt of our sin. But how do we get the benefits of that work? Well, the Bible also teaches us that that is, in fact, God's work. On our own, listen to me, on our own, we are perfectly happy apart from God perfectly happy. That's why happiness is no judge as to whether or not uh, we are flourishing. If we're made for God to perfectly happy in our sin, happiness is not a good judge of things. We would rather not have God, but God moves towards us, changes our hearts, literally as the Bible would say, regenerates us, makes us new so that we can come here. Okay? In other words, God changes our minds. Not us. And so John is arguing that when God does that, if he really does it, it doesn't go away. If it does, it proves we didn't have it in the first place. I know this is messing with something at all. I get it. It should. But the Bible teaches us that salvation, the salvation of God is from first to last by grace. It is not grace initially and then contingent on our continued effort, morality, or even our continued faith. It is from first to last by His grace. Uh, the Apostle Paul will say it differently in one of his letters, the letter of the Ephesians. He says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Some of you have heard this? It. And it's not of yourselves, it's the faith. It's a gift of God, not by your works. So so if they left us, it shows they were never really of us. We'll get back to that in a second. So just hold, hold your question for a second. Okay? And then John talks about this anointing. And that just sounds weird, right? Look at verses 20 and 21 real quick. Now, again, if you have a background in the church, when he says you've been anointed by the Holy One and you've got all knowledge, what we generally think that means is we generally think that he's talking about the Holy Spirit, which is right. But then if we mean what we think he's talking about there is that because you have the Holy Spirit, no one ever, to teach you anything about God or the Bible because you got it all. And all you got to do is just kind of think to yourself and get that little fuzzy. Like if I get a fuzzy about something, it's true because i got the Holy Ghost. I caught him last week and I don't need to, I don't need anyone to teach me anything. Uh, that's, that's actually not what John is talking about. Here's what: This congregation he's speaking to are being disrupted by people who are saying, guess what? God told me something. And I know it's true. And you need to know it's true, too. And I know the apostles didn't know any of this. I know that God's word doesn't say any of this. But you know what? Like, they didn't have my special knowledge. I've got this subjective knowledge, and now you need to have it, too. John has been consistent in his letter in saying that you need to return. Christians need to keep returning back to what they first heard, what they had in the first place, which is the word of God. Okay. If an inner subjective experience is the arbiter of truth, the determiner of truth, then you and I are the final determiners of truth. The problem is going to come when I got a truth that you don't got. Right? I'm true. God told me a vision. Uh, God told me a vision that I'm true I and mean, we, we don't agree with each other. So what do we do with that? Right? right? Christianity teaches that we are to submit to God's word. Now, here's the thing. You're like He well, you said you have, you've got an anointing from the Holy Word. You're assuming that God's word was separate from the Spirit of God. Who gave God's word in the first place? The Spirit of God. Except the Holy Word. John said, you've been given the truth by God himself in the Gospel. That is true. Measure everything you hear by that. We don't need visions, we don't mean special knowledge. You have all, you all of you, not a few of you, all of you have God's word but that begs the question right that's a position we know what's outside now we, we kind of put but that begs the question what what is part of the gospel and what is isn't? what are we to judge the truth claims uh, judge truth claims by as Christians well, he gets to that next in the content Look down at this 22. Ooh, he, he, John doesn't get to work he says who is the liar okay and so in the Bible says who's the liar it's on right so who is but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That is the Antichrist. Okay, now stop here. Because here's where we're going to get into this Christ, Antichrist thing, hopefully help us out. I know that some of us are probably still in the opinion that Christ is Jesus' last name. Um, It is not in the title, okay, in the Bible. The word Christ is a title that bears with it, not just um, like like the title, uh, Mr., but it bears with an entire story that we need to understand. Um, And it bears so much meaning with it that John says what separates true and false teaching is bound up in whether or not you think Jesus is the Christ. So we better be really clear on what this means, right? Like I said before, the story of the Bible is that humanity as a whole, not just pieces of us, all of us thoroughly are fundamentally broken in a state called sin. So that sin is not just what we do until we are. As a matter of fact, we do it because we are it. Okay? Jesus talks about this when he says that it's out of the heart that all kinds of evil things come, all kinds of things that even you and I probably, if I would list them out, what he says, we'd go, yeah, hey, yeah, I get that. Yeah, that's, that's bad too. Uh, and so Jesus says that is what, uh, that is, that all happens because we are sinners. Our hearts are bad. We sin because we're sinners. Okay? We're, but God promised right then and there, right when that state began, right when the, everything hit the fan, to make things right. We betrayed him, we turned from him, hated him, but he promised, purely out of his grace, to rescue us. And an the entire Old Testament is the story of him working out that promise. How's he going to do it? How's everything going to play out? How's it going to come together? And that promise became more and more focused until it rested on a singular figure a person through whom God would deal with sin and break the back of evil. And that person would be called God's anointed. In Hebrew, his Messiah. In Greek, his Christ. Christ. Here's why this is important. To say that Jesus is the Christ is to say that he is God. He is God's rescue plan. He is God's rescue plan. That doesn't mean that he shows us the plan to follow. It means he is it. He is the Christ. Christianity does not offer you a code to do. It offers you a Christ to trust. See, our our independence from God. If, If Jesus just came and said, I got it. Here's the rules to follow. Here's the plan to keep. Here's the path to walk down. That doesn't help us because our independence is the problem. And so us walking independently down a path, even given by Jesus, is furthering our issues. It is pushing us consistently further away from God. Maybe even worse than it could ever be because now we think Jesus gave us the plan. He must be right. And so I'm just going to keep going down this way. It's still sin. It is a substitute to Christ. God presents Jesus as our substitute to allow us to return to dependence on God because Jesus is God. And so to say that Jesus is not the Christ, to make him just another teacher, to make him a moral exemplar, just another prophet, all of that leaves us in our independence on our happy way towards judgment. John says, that's a lie. And if you're teaching that, says, you're a liar. It's in the denials, that John really gets offensive. You're like, really? It's worse? Yeah, it's it worse. So look at verses 22 to 25. Here's the logic. If you deny that Jesus is the Christ, you don't just deny the Son, that's Jesus, you deny the Father, Because you can't have the Father without the Son. You can't have the Father without faith in the Son. If you don't have Jesus as the Christ, you don't have God as Father. Now, listen, this is huge. Because you and I live in a time where we believe that God is cool with us no matter what we think about Jesus. John is saying, No. No. No, that's not the case. If you don't have the Christ, you're still in your sin. You're still in your sin. You're still alienated from God. You can't possibly have the Father without the Son. So denying Jesus as the Christ is also to deny God the Father. It is to call Him a liar. He's saying, look, if, if God has called Him my, my Son, my Christ, my beloved one, you say, no, I don't think that's true. You're calling God a liar. But here's the great part. So listen, close. If you have the Son, John says, you have the Father also now, here's why this is so important Christian or not in this room okay, not everyone in this room is Christian if a Christian or not in this room we all struggle to believe the gospel we all struggle to believe it. we tend to think, even if you are a Christian that maybe you place your faith in Jesus but then you have to keep God happy with you through your rule keeping your morality your church attendance right, putting the little thing in the basket when it comes by, whatever John is saying, that is the case. If you have the Son, you have the Father. To have the Christ is to be pleasing to God. Did you hear that? Again, uh, the the Apostle Paul, in another of his letters, will say it in a different way, almost in the negative. He says, look, did you begin with uh, grace and faith only now to revert to works? You think God was happy with you by faith earlier, but now you have to work harder again? Are you crazy? John's saying it in the opposite way. If you can place your faith in Jesus, you are reconciled to God fully and finally. That is why he says, this is the promise we were promised. This is what we were promised. The Christ is not one way to God. He is the only way. And if you come to the Christ, if you place your faith fully in Him, then you are fully and finally Reconciled and restored to God. You can't add to the work of Jesus. And it is big enough that there is nothing you can do to take away from it anymore. You hear me? We don't add to it. And y'all ain't nowhere near bad enough to be able to take away from it. It's enough. And don't miss this. There is no Christianity without the Christ. And all of that means. There is no Christianity without being right with God through faith. But this shouldn't be offensive. And I know it is you're like, "That's exclusive. I know. But it shouldn't be. Listen, it should be glorious. Because if it's all on Jesus, if it's all on what he did, all his perfect life, all his sin-bearing death, then think of the freedom. Because some of us in this room, when we approach God, we have Because we're afraid that if we mess up, he's going to get us. But if it's all laid on Jesus, we can be free to love God instead of, fear of him. We can be free to delight in him instead of trying to placate him. It removes the burden that you and I cannot bear. God has provided everything in Jesus. Okay? Now... I wanna speak in a more applied manner, if I can, with this last uh, last major point, okay? And in this, we're gonna talk about two things, one more theological and one more practical, okay? So, just warning you. The first is uh, the more theological one, uh, and that has to do with perseverance, okay? Without a doubt, this passage is controversial. And I don't just mean like for Christians and not between Christians and non-Christians. I mean between Christians. This passage is very controversial. And one of the controversial ideas is that those who need the faith prove that they were never in it in the first place. What this is dealing with is a doctrine that in uh, the history of the church is called the perseverance of the saints. Okay? The perseverance of the saints. And here's what it means. If the Spirit of God has regenerated you, you to be born again and, and given you faith, you place your faith in Jesus, then you will continue in that faith till the end. Here's what it does not mean. It does not mean if you made a decision 20 years ago in youth rally uh, and then never thought of it again after you got baptized with a fire hose and ate communion with cookies and milk, uh, that you never thought of it again, you don't trust in Jesus now, that all of a sudden you're fine with God. That's not what that means. You see, one of those ideas is based on what we do and the other is based on what God does. Jesus talks about this. He talks about this in a parable that he tells about soils and seeds. Maybe you've heard it. If you're a church you probably heard it. Uh, where he says that there's uh, a sower goes out and spreads some seed. There's these different kinds of places where it falls. One falls on the road. The other place it falls, it's on soil. It's got some rocks in it. The other's got some soil. It's got some weeds in it. I'm a lawn guy. I hate that soil. And so, and then, and then there's another where it falls on good soil, right? And um, the stuff on the road never takes root, so it comes springs up, the rocks, it can't get down deep enough, the roots can't get in deep, and then with the weeds, it just gets choked out. But the seed that falls in good soil bears fruit. Now here's the kicker of that parable. At one point in time, the rocky soil, the yee soil, and the good soil all look exactly the same. They all look the same. The difference is in the soil which even in Jesus' parable is about the Word of God. This is why, friends, the Gospel is so offensive to us. Because it takes glory out of our hands. Paul calls it boasting. I have no place to boast anymore. And it takes it all out of my hands and places it in the hands of God where it belongs. Because it's on Him. And some of you know this, right? Some of you know this because you know where you've been you've been walking your little happy way on, on the way down to judgment and all of a sudden something happened you're like, whoops, no, now I'm And you can't even claim that. And some of us, some of us let's be honest, if, if we thought enough about it, we can probably try and claim some things. Other than so, there's no chance. It was as if God all of a sudden said, note your mind. You know what? Exactly what he did. Note your mind. gospel is that God saves sinners. Now, he makes salvation possible. But he gives an offer of it. God saves sinners. Here's what that means for us. There's faith, and then there's presumption. Some of us here are probably presuming with God. We made a decision a long time ago. That decision has had no impact in our lives. Or, we keep our noses clean. We go to church all the time. But we have never done a single thing out of love for God or stopped doing a single thing out of love for God. And if you're worried this might be you, the answer is not to try harder. Okay, we're excited. I've got to do stuff out of love for God. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do stuff out of love for God today. Oh, okay, that messed up. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to do the answer is not to try harder. It's simply to come to Jesus. Place your faith in Him instead of yourself. You can't do it. It's okay. He's not asking you to. You can't place your faith in yourself, your decision, your work. Those gods, as truly say, will persevere to the end, but not because of them. Not because they're so much better than everybody else. Because Jesus said, no one that the Father gives me can be snatched from my hand. So the last thing is the more practical one, and that's denying. Because the other controversial thing here in this passage is the harshness behind denying that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, John says denying that Jesus is the Christ doesn't just make you an okay person. He says, that's the antichrist and suddenly the horns start going you gotta wear a hat right so we need to be real clear on what it means to deny this what does it mean to deny that jesus is the christ well i think we can deny jesus in two ways okay the first is the the one that we normally think about we'll call it the more irreligious way right that we can deny that jesus is the christ this is when we outrightly reject jesus Christian, bunk All that stuff is just gooey. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, Religion is just a crutch for weak people. Some of us here probably identify that, right? That's cool. Listen, if that's you and you're here, I want you to be here. You can hang out with all of us weak, crutch needing people all day long. Okay? I'm chief among them. So here's what I want to let you know about. The Bible would teach you that you just don't realize it because both your your legs are apart. If you would deny Jesus as the Christ, I would say first, instead of thinking you understand what that means and who he says he is, look for the claims of the Bible. Study them. I dare you. See. If you want someone to study with you, I will do that. I will I will meet with you, I'll take you out to lunch or take you somewhere, we'll grab drinks and we'll talk about this as much as you want. Let's do it. I'm not scared of your investigation. It would be awesome. Okay. The second way—that's the more irreligious option—but I think the second way you want to is more see is it's a religious option. The other way that you can deny that Jesus is the Christ is that you can—you can probably think that Jesus is okay. You may even like say, "I oh, I know he lived and died." you're not really trusting in him to save you. Because you think you need to add to his work your obedience. Your keeping, Your religiosity. Your evangelical Christian language. Talking about people's hearts. Your quiet time. As long as I've had my quiet time today, I'm good. Listen to me. If you believe that these things either make God like you or keep him liking you, functionally at least, you were denying that Jesus is the Christ. What you were saying when you do this is, I'm not that bad, God's not that good, Jesus' work isn't that great, and I need to add to it. I've got to do something more because the God-man hanging on the cross is just not enough. Sorry, bro. I know you went through that this physical pain, but the agony of hell on the cross but you I'm really bad my work I'm I mean my sin is such that maybe your work isn't enough or maybe you know I don't really need it because I'm good enough that I can make it better you're denying that Jesus is the Christ don't be by time you cannot put your trust in more than one thing we are made to be exclusive in that it's just not possible And so if you put your trust in Jesus plus anything else, trust me, your trust is not in Jesus, it's in the anything. Because the difference between you and someone else who trusts in Jesus is your anything, guess what, anything is what matters. But Jesus plus anything ultimately gets you nothing. The entire message of the book of Galatians, but Jesus, with nothing else added, just everything. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? If you do, lift up your praise to God. That didn't come from you. When Peter said it, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, you're blessed, Peter, because that didn't come from you, that came from my Father. And nobody figured that out. If you don't, if you think maybe he's a teacher or a prophet, you're not the Christ. Call you for that this morning, because He stands ready to forgive. You're not too far. You never could be. So come and place your faith in Him. And for him Lord, I pray for all of us, because functionally, whether we're the most mature Christian in the world, we do deny that Jesus is God. We do it. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to. We don't want to sit in that, but we do it. Every time we think we got to pick up the reins from you, like I got this. Every time we feel like we need to to suddenly insert our efforts, insert our faith, insert our uh, self atonement insert our search for satisfaction from you, we deny Jesus. So, Lord, all of us here need. again, whether for the first time or for the first time in the last five minutes, back to Jesus. I pray that you do here in this moment. Not for our glory, not glory, for the cross's glory, for you. the you and life, alone. God, saves. us.